This is the Music Halls of Fame podcast. This week, we honor the year in music for 2019, along with a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class of 2019. We also look at two of this year's nominees for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, plus our Spotlight Hall of Fame is the ARIA Hall of Fame in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. Before we get going with the podcast, like everyone tells you, please like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell so you'll know when these podcast episodes drop, which is usually every Thursday. Now, on to this week's episode. The year was 2019. In music, the R. Kelly documentary, Surviving R. Kelly, helped to finally bring sex abuse charges against the singer. The Michael Jackson documentary, Leaving Neverland, created a firestorm of backlash against the late singer, causing radio stations to drop his songs, only to then put them back on the air a few months after the documentary aired. Cancel culture has a very short lifespan and attention span sometimes. Meanwhile, singer and actor Jussie Smollett reported that he was attacked by two white men who hurled racial epithets against him while in Chicago, Illinois. Chicago police later figured out that Jussie's report was, to be nice about it, uh, not true. A report in the New York Times magazine finally revealed that a 2008 fire on the Universal Studios backlot in Los Angeles, California, not only destroyed the original Back to the Future set, but also destroyed a warehouse that held a lot of master copies of very famous songs and albums that can never be replaced. Music industry records were broken all throughout 2019. For instance, Lil Nas X and Billy Ray Cyrus's Old Town Road broke the record for longest consecutive weeks at number one on the Billboard singles chart, finally ending up with 19 straight weeks at the top, beating the old record of 16 weeks. After first appearing on the charts in 1994 and after a change in Billboard magazine's chart rules allowing Christmas music to be included on the top 100 singles chart, Mariah Carey's modern-day Christmas classic All I Want for Christmas is You finally hit number one on the Billboard singles chart. It broke several records, including slowest climb to number one with 35 chart weeks, Longest number of years between its debut and hitting number one at 25 years. It also became the last number one song of the 2010s and the first number one song of the 2020s. And in doing so, it made Mariah the first artist to have a number one song in four separate decades. Bands that formed in 2019 included Everglow, Dice, Sunday Service, Simple Creatures, and Boys World. Bands that broke up before their inevitable reunions or announced their hiatus included DNCE, Fifth Harmony, One Direction, Fun, The Muffs, A Boy Zone, Slayer, Spandau Ballet, Prophets of Rage, and Toto. Roxette, Linkin Park, The Cranberries, and The Divinals all disbanded due to the deaths of their popular lead singers. 
Bands that reformed in 2019 included Alpha Beat, Bauhaus, Bikini Kill, The Black Crows, Heart, The Jonas Brothers, Men at Work, My Chemical Romance, Rage Against the Machine, Stereo Lab, Supergrass, and The Pussycat Dolls. Major musical deaths in 2019 included Eddie Money, James Ingram, Keith Flint of The Prodigy, Doris Day, Chuck Barksdale of The Dells, Leon Redbone, Rick Ocasek of The Cars, producer Busby, Peter Tork of The Monkees, Bushwick Bill of The Ghetto Boys, drummer Hal Blaine, Dick Dale, Nipsey Hussle, Juice World, Dr. John, South African musician Johnny Clegg, Marie Fredrickson of Roxette, drummer Ginger Baker, K-pop singer Goo Hara, Bossa Nova singer Jao Gilberto, Daryl Dragon, the captain in The Captain and Tennille, pianist Andre Previn, opera singer Jesse Norman, Phil McCormick of Molly Hatchet, and Art Neville. As far as the albums of 2019 went, Taylor Swift's Lover was the biggest selling album of the year. Other big albums came from the A Star is Born soundtrack, BTS, Harry Styles, Madonna, The Backstreet Boys, The Jonas Brothers, Tool, Post Malone, Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody soundtrack, and the reissue of the Beatles classic Abbey Road. The biggest singles of the year were Lil Nas X and Billy Ray Cyrus's Old Town Road, Ariana Grande's Thank You Next, and also her song Seven Rings, Post Malone and Sway Lee's Sunflower, Shawn Mendes and Camila Cabello's Senorita, Lizzo's Truth Hurts, Jonas Brothers' Sucker, Halsey's Without Me, Travis Scott's Highest in the Room, Louis Capaldi's Someone You Loved, Selena Gomez's Lose You to Love Me, Post Malone's Circles, and The Weeknd's Heartless. Country music had a major controversy about what exactly a country music song was. Lil Nas X's Old Town Row was originally a number one song on the country music charts until Billboard magazine decided that the country trap song wasn't really country enough, quote unquote. Then Blanco Brown's the song The Get Up did the exact same thing. And the conversation about what type of music was country and who was country, usually surrounding the question about whether more black country artists can be successful in country music, is a conversation that actually continues to this very day. The biggest country music albums in the meantime included Jason Aldean's Nine, Cody Johnson's Ain't Nothing To It, Florida Georgia Line's Can't Say I Ain't Country, Thomas Rhett's Center Point Road, Tyler Childers' Country Squire, Luke Combs' The Prequel, Blake Shelton's Fully Loaded God's Country, George Strait's Honky Tonk Time Machine, Marin Morris's Girl, and the Highway Women's self-titled album. The biggest country music songs included Luke Combs' songs Beautiful Crazy, Beer Never Broke My Heart, and Even Though I'm Leaving. Also, Blake Shelton's God's Country, Blanco Brown's The Get Up, Marshmallow and Kane Brown's One Thing Right, Morgan Whalen's Whiskey Glasses, Brett Young's Here Tonight, Chris Lane's I Don't Know About You, and Luke Bryan's Knocking Boots. Yes, he had a song called Knocking Boots. Eh, country. What are you going to do? In hip-hop... 
the biggest albums of the year were put out by Lil Nas X, Travis Scott, Lizzo, Post Malone, J. Cole, Lil Tecca, Lil Uzi Vert, Blueface, Logic, and Kanye, who put out a gospel hip-hop album, Jesus is King. In singles, Lil Nas X's Old Town Road was one of the biggest songs of the year, with his follow-ups Panini and Futsal Shuffle 2020 going top five. Post Malone also had a good year with four songs that hit the top three on the charts, Circles, Sunflower, Wow, and Goodbyes. Other big songs were Travis Scott's Highest in the Room, Lizzo's Truth Hurts and Good as Hell, Cardi B and Bruno Mars's Please Me, J. Cole's Middle Child, and Lil Tecca's Ransom. Dance music was so diverse in 2019 that not one song spent more than one week at the top of the Billboard Dance Club Play chart. This was also the last full year of the chart for a couple of years as the COVID-19 pandemic and the subsequent lockdowns of all entertainment venues meant that there was no need for the chart for most of 2020 and also for 2021. After all, no clubs, no club play. Having said that, though, songs by the usual pop and hip-hop dance artists made it to the top like Jennifer Lopez, Katy Perry, Ariana Grande, and Ava Max. Some of these artists were a little on the head-scratching side. For instance, Sting and Mark Ronson also made the top of the club play chart. As far as the more quote-unquote legit EDM artists went, some of the most popular songs included Chris Lake's Stay With Me, Peggy Gow's Starry Night, Sophie Tucker and Ju's Mirumba, Fisher's You Little Beauty, and Major Lazer's Can't Take It With You. The biggest Latin artist of 2019 was Bad Bunny. Other big Latin artists were Ozuna, Annual AA, J Balvin, Luis Fonzi, Aventura, Sec, Faruco, Daddy Yankee, Pedro Capo, Romeo Santos, Jay Cortez, and Taney. Musical movies that opened in 2019 included Rocket Man, Wild Rose, Yellow Rose, the live-action version of Disney's Aladdin, Frozen 2, the CGI version of Disney's The Lion King, Yesterday, Blinded by the Light, Judy, and Cats, which was universally panned. Musicals or revivals of musicals that opened in 2019 included Hades Town, Tina, the Tina Turner musical, Tootsie, Moulin Rouge, Kiss Me Kate, Beetlejuice, and Oklahoma. In awards for the music of 2019, the year will be remembered as the year of Billie Eilish, as the singer had the second biggest album of the year and broke records all year, becoming the first artist who was born in the 21st century to have a number one song and a number one album on the Billboard charts. At the Grammy Awards for the music of 2019, Billie, along with her producer brother Phineas, grabbed the big four major awards at the same ceremony. Billy became the first female and second person to pull off that feat since Christopher Cross did it back in the 1980s. Billy won Album of the Year for When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go, Song and Record of the Year for Bad Guy, and Best New Artist. At the American Music Awards, Taylor Swift won Artist of the Year. 
at the Billboard Music Awards, Post Malone won Artist of the Year during a ceremony that actually got pushed into late 2020 because of the pandemic. Usually, that ceremony would be held early in 2020 for the music of 2019. But then the pandemic hit right when the ceremony was going to happen, so they pushed it until very late. At the MTV Video Music Awards, Video of the Year went to Taylor Swift's You Need to Calm Down. Lizzo won Album of the Year for Cause I Love You, and Chris Brown and Drake won Best Song for No Guidance at the Soul Train Music Awards. Billie Eilish, Taylor Swift, Shawn Mendes, and Blackpink won the music categories at the People's Choice Awards. At the Eurovision Song Contest that was held in Tel Aviv, Israel, Dutch entry Duncan Lawrence won with the song Arcade. Garth Brooks won Entertainer of the Year at the Country Music Association Awards, and Carrie Underwood won Entertainer of the Year at the Academy of Country Music Awards. Dave won Best British Album for Psychodrama, and Louis Capaldi won Best Song for Someone You Loved at the Brit Awards. Alicia Cara won Best Album for The Pains of Growing, while Camila Cabello and Sean Mendez won Best Song for Senorita, and Sean Mendez won Artist of the Year at the Juno Awards. Dean Lewis won Album of the Year for A Place We Knew, and Guy Sebastian won Single of the Year for Choir at the Aria Music Awards. At the Tony Awards, Town won Best Musical, and Oklahoma won Best Revival of a Musical. The Pulitzer Prize for Music was won by Ellen Reed for Prism. Musically at the Academy Awards, Elton John and Bernie Taupin won Best Song for I'm Gonna Love Me Again from Rocket Man, and the movie Joker won Best Original Score. Dave won the Mercury Music Prize for his album Psychodrama. The 2019 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony took place on March 29th at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. That year, the hall inducted the Chantel's Maybe, the Champs' Tequila, Barrett Strong's Money, That's What I Want, the Isley Brothers' Twist and Shout, the Shangri-La's Leader of the Pack, and the Shadow of Night's Gloria into the singles category, which was a category that has been on and off rather sporadically over the last five years or so. And in the performers category... The Hall inducted Janet Jackson, Stevie Nicks, Radiohead, Roxy Music, The Cure, The Zombies, and this next group. The group Def Leppard started out in 1976 as the band Atomic Mass in the city of Sheffield, England, by schoolmates Rick Savage, Tom Kenning, and Pete Doubleday. Pete Willis joined up in 1977 along with Nick Mackley, Andy Nicholas, Melanie Davis, Nick Hornt, and Paul Hampshire as members were joining and leaving all the time, mainly due to the fact that they were still in high school. Singer Joe Elliott auditioned to be one of the guitarists, but it was decided that he would become the lead singer. Guitarist Steve Clark and drummer Rick Allen came on board soon thereafter in 1978. The name Def Leppard came from a newspaper headline that read, Def Leppard, Def Leppard's Deformed. Def being hard of hearing, they changed up the spellings, I'm assuming so that they wouldn't get sued. Right around the time that they were working on their EP, the Def Leppard EP, 
Kenning left the band and was replaced by Frank Noon. By the time all the band shuffling back and forth had finally finished up and they released their debut album, the group finally consisted of Savage, Clark, Elliot, Allen, and Willis. The group released their debut album, On Through the Night, on March 14, 1980. The album originally didn't do too well, except in the Sheffield area. Eventually, though, it caught on and at one time actually hit number 12 on the Billboard Albums chart. It also got the attention of legendary producer Mutt Lang, who produced ACDC's classic album, Back in Black, and would also go on to craft Brian Adams and Shania Twain's albums, along with marrying Shania Twain for a number of years. Mutt took a liking to the band and would go on to produce the band's next few albums. Mutt and the band worked on the group's follow-up album, High and Dry, which was released on July 11, 1981. The band didn't have an official hit from the album, and the sales figures weren't all that spectacular. The band did have a music video, though, for their song Bringing On The Heartbreak, which would turn the song into a cult hit as it was one of the first hard rock music videos that the fledgling TV channel MTV played at that point. MTV would play a huge part in the group's success with their third album. The group got to work on that third album called Pyromania. For this album, there were a few changes. The first was that they changed guitarists. Pete Willis was let go from the group for excessive drinking, something that would eventually help to claim the life of their other guitarist, Steve Clark. Guitarist Phil Collin came on board from the band Girl to replace Willis. The band also changed their sound to a more glam rock style instead of heavy metal. Mutt was again at the helm for this particular album, and Pete Willis actually played most of the rhythm guitar and contributed songwriting on a few tracks before he was actually let go. This album was one of those rare cases when the album came out before the first single was even released. Pyromania was released on January 20th, 1983. The first single, Photograph, was released on February 3rd. What made the song and eventually the album so popular was that Photograph, their second single, Rock of Ages, and their third single, Foolin', all got heavy rotation airplay on MTV, which was in full swing by then as being a cultural force and a major record pusher. The album was the second biggest selling album of 1983, right behind that album by some guy who wore a sparkling silver glove and danced the moonwalk. To date, Pyromania has sold over 10 million certified albums. Def Leppard began work on their follow-up album, Hysteria. However, tragedy struck when Rick Allen was involved in a car accident of his own making, to be honest. On New Year's Eve 1984, Rick was driving his Corvette down a country road near Sheffield when he came up behind a slower car. And rather than slow up and get behind the other car, he tried to speed up to get around the other car. Unfortunately for him, he sped up so quickly that he lost control of his Corvette, hit a wall, and crashed the car into a nearby field, all the while completely severing his left arm. Doctors frantically tried to reattach the arm, but eventually he had to have it amputated once it got an infection. Now, normally, 
you would think that that was the end for being a drummer. After all, you kind of need your arms to play the drums. That's what the instrument does. Rick, however, was a bit of a different beast. See, rather than quit the band, Rick and a few other people worked out a drum kit where he could drum with two feet and one arm and it would all be done electronically. What's also amazing is that the band, rather than get rid of him, stuck by him and didn't even consider getting rid of him at all. That is some band loyalty for you. The band did get another drummer to help Rick with drumming when they played a few tour warm-up gigs in Ireland. They soon realized, though, that Rick was going to be just fine on his own, so the idea of a side drummer was squashed. In fact, during one gig, Rick drummed with one of the bones from his severed arm because, I don't know, rock and roll. You figure it out. Different beast, remind you. Different beast. All of this pushed back the making of Hysteria, but the album finally got released on August 3, 1987. Hysteria was a monster hit, selling over 10 million records, producing hit songs like Pour Some Sugar On Me, Animal, Love Bites, Armageddon It, and Rocket, plus making Def Leppard one of the few artists to have more than one original album sell over 10 million copies. It also helped producer Mutt Lang to cement his place as one of the most successful producers of all time after also having 10 million sellers with ACDC, Back in Black, and Shania Twain, pretty much every Shania Twain album that came out in the 90s. After finishing up their successful Hysteria tour, they started work on their album Adrenalize. Tragedy, however, would strike the band again, as guitarist Steve Clark's alcohol addiction spiraled way out of control. He did try to get help. In fact, he was in and out of rehab quite a bit. But on January 8, 1991, Steve's demons finally caught up with him. He passed away from taking prescription drugs and alcohol, which is never a good idea, even on a good day. The band pressed on without him and released Adrenalized on March 31st, 1992. The album was a hit, although it wasn't as big a hit as Pyromania or Hysteria. It spawned the songs Let's Get Rocked, Have You Ever Needed Someone So Bad, and Heaven Is. Before they went out on tour again, though, they auditioned guitarists to take Steve Clark's place, and they found their now guitarist, Vivian Campbell, who used to play with Whitesnake and Dio. After that, the guys put out a bunch of different albums, like Retroactive and Slang, but by this point, music had kind of changed up on them. Grunge took over right around the time that Adrenalize was coming out, which would explain why Adrenalize didn't sell as many copies as the other albums in the 80s did. But when Grunge took over, it kind of kicked Def Leppard's style of rock to the curb. Plus, they almost had yet another tragedy when Vivian Campbell was diagnosed with cancer, but he recovered from that, thankfully. Through it all, though... Def Leppard never lost their legion of fans, and to this day, they continue to be huge concert draws. They even did a couple of Las Vegas residencies. 
they still sell out arenas to this very day, even if their albums don't sell 10 million copies like they used to. Throughout their career, Def Leppard released 12 albums, their last being 2022's Diamond Star Halos. They've been nominated for seven American Music Awards, winning two in 1989. They were nominated for six MTV Video Music Awards, although they shockingly never won one. To date, they have not been nominated for a Grammy Award, although they really should have in the 1980s, one would figure. Okay, so the critics don't love them. Doesn't matter. They've sold over 100 million records, and they've been called the 31st greatest hard rock artist, according to VH1. Presented for induction by Brian May of 2001 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees Queen, Joe Elliott, Rick Allen, Vivian Campbell, Steve Clark, Phil Collin, Rick Savage, and because he was on the first couple of albums, Pete Willis, Def Leppard, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, class of 2019. And on this podcast playlist, which you can find on YouTube Music, I have put Pyromania, Hysteria, Adrenalize, and a couple other choice songs onto the playlist. Link is in the show notes. Before we go any further, we'd like to tell you that there is now a Music History In-Depth podcast where we go more in-depth on a few of the events that happened in music history for that particular week. The Music History In-Depth podcast drops every Tuesday on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast from, as does our Music History Today podcast, which goes over the daily events in music history. The Music History Today podcast drops daily, including weekends, on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to this podcast. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame released its nominees for the performers category for this year's induction into the next class for the hall. This list, however, does not include whoever they decide will be inducted into the other categories like musical excellence or early influencer because they haven't announced those yet. So, the list for the performers is as follows. Mary J. Blige, Mariah Carey, Cher, Dave Matthews Band, Eric B. and Rakim, Foreigner, Peter Frampton, Jane's Addiction, Cool and the Gang, Lenny Kravitz, Oasis, Sinead O'Connor, Ozzy Osbourne, Charday, and A Tribe Called Quest. Not a bad list at all. The good news is that you get to vote for who will get inducted, as the fan vote is a very small part of the total vote, but it is a part of the total vote. Therefore, go to rockhall.com to vote. You can do it once a day, every day, and for the next couple of months, we're going to make the case for you to vote for an artist to be inducted. We'll look at at least two artists per episode until we get through the list. We're going to start off by looking at the first two that I mentioned, Mary J. Blige and Mariah Carey. Let's start with Mary J. Blige. Mary has put out 13 albums. All of them went top 10 in America, with four of them hitting number one and three of them hitting number two. 
eight of those albums hit platinum, with six of them going multi-platinum and three of them going gold. Mary's also released 71 singles. Of those, 17 went top 40 on the pop charts, four went top 10, with Family Affair going to number one. On the R&B chart, it's a completely different story and complete and utter domination. Mary's had 45 top 40 songs, with 19 hitting the top 10, and five of those songs, Family Affair, Be Without You, Not Gonna Cry, You Remind Me, and Real Love, all going to the number one spot. Mary has also won nine Grammy Awards. She was also nominated for a Best Supporting Actress Oscar and a Best Song Oscar, both in the same year, becoming the first person to ever do that. As far as her influence goes, Mary's known as the queen of hip-hop soul for marrying the two genres together and making both of them more mainstream. As great as that is, though, it'll probably be more for her commercial success that voters will probably look at and hopefully induct her for. Now, to the queen of Christmas herself, Mariah Carey. Mariah has released 15 studio albums, two soundtrack albums, eight compilation albums, one remix album, and four EPs. Of those, all of the studio albums, two of the compilation albums, and one EP have gone top 10 on the American charts, including six of them hitting number one. Mariah has also released 88 singles. Of those, 40 have gone top 10 on the American charts, including 27 of those that went to number one. Yes, that, of course, does include All I Want for Christmas is You. She has had a number one single in every single decade since her first one back in the 1990s. Mariah Carey held the record for the longest stretch at number one on the Billboard Singles Chart with Boys to Men with the song One Sweet Day. That is, until Daddy Yankee, Luis Fonsi, and Justin Bieber tied that record with Despacito, and Mark Ronson and Bruno Mars broke that record with Uptown Funk, and then, of course, Old Town Road from Lil Nas X and Billy Ray Cyrus came along and just shattered the record. Mariah still, however, holds numerous other chart records and is Columbia Records' biggest selling artist of all time. In the era of greatest female pop, dance, R&B artists of the 1980s and 90s, there are basically four that were considered the four horsewomen of the apocalypse, you might say, as opposed to the four horsemen. They were, of course, Madonna, Janet Jackson, Whitney Houston, and Mariah. And out of those four ladies who are eligible, three of them are now in, Madonna, Whitney, and Janet, into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, with Janet being the last one to go in only a few years ago, back in 2019. Now, while Madonna, Whitney, and Janet owned the 80s and the early 90s, Mariah has pretty much owned the 90s into the early part of the millennium. She is the biggest-selling female artist worldwide of the last century and the biggest-selling artist worldwide regardless of genre of the 1990s. She's won 168 awards out of 303 nominations, including six Grammy Awards out of 34 nominations, and was ranked second on VH1's Greatest Women in Music list. 
Her biggest legacy and influence, for better or for worse perhaps, are her vocal skills. She has a five-octave range and can hit notes that only dogs can hear. Okay, not so much anymore. She's getting older, but you get the point. As such, nearly every singer now thinks that they can sing like her, and unfortunately, nearly every singer tries to. A lot of them not only can't sing like her, they absolutely ruin their voices trying. That just goes to show you, though, just how unique a voice Mariah Carey has. This year, I think, is the year for Mariah to finally be inducted, and you can help decide that by voting at last check. There were over a million votes already cast. Make yours be one of them. I know mine was. The Arts Center of Melbourne is a performing arts complex in the Melbourne Arts Precinct in Southbank, which is a suburb of Melbourne in Victoria, Australia. The center was constructed starting in 1973 and completed in 1984 when it fully opened. The center has a bunch of theaters and galleries and is noted for having not only the usual highbrow concerts and ballets from classical and jazz artists, but also having roller skating, a circus, and a movie theater. In the complex lies an exhibit for the ARIA Hall of Fame. ARIA, or Australian Recording Industry Association, is the Australian lobbying group for their music industry. They put on the ARIA Music Awards, which is their version of the Grammys. They also induct people into their Music Hall of Fame, simply called the ARIA Hall of Fame, because sometimes a simple name is a good name. The induction started in 1988 and have been going on ever since except for 2000 when no one was inducted and since 2020 when Archie Roach was the last one inducted into the hall. I will assume that that actually has something to do with COVID lockdown restrictions in Australia for the past few years, but hopefully they'll get back to putting people into the hall very soon. The number of annual inductees varies. For the last few years, only one act per year has been inducted. Go to artscentermelbourne.com.au for information as to when the organization does its yearly exhibit and what the times of operation are. We will, of course, put that link in the show notes. As always, though, check to see what the health regulations are because Australia really took those COVID lockdowns extremely seriously. Now, normally, I would tell you about someone who's already been inducted into a Spotlight Hall of Fame. This week, however, we are going to talk about somebody who has been humongously overlooked and has not been put into the ARIA Hall of Fame, but should be. Rick Springfield was born Richard Springthorpe in Australia. His father was in the Australian Army. He started out in his teenage years playing in a bunch of different bands with names like Zoot, MPD Limited, and stuff like that. He signed a solo record deal with Spamic Records in 1971. His debut album, Beginnings, was released in 1972. A single off of that album, Speak to the Sky, hit number 14 on the Billboard Singles Chart and the album went top 40. 
Some radio stations boycotted his songs, though, once word got around, true or false, that his American record label, Capitol Records, was paying people to buy the album. In the 1970s, he also put out three other albums, gaining an image as a teen idol along the way. He also started acting at this point. He was in episodes of The Six Million Dollar Man, The Hardy Boys' Nancy Drew Mysteries, Wonder Woman, The Rockford Files, and, fun fact, he was in the pilot episode of the original Battlestar Galactica TV show, where he played a pilot who doesn't make it past the pilot episode, unfortunately. Rest in peace, Lieutenant Zack. We barely knew you. As the 1980s dawned, Rick was offered the role of Dr. Noah Drake on the TV soap opera General Hospital. At the time, soap operas were huge. General Hospital's Luke and Laura wedding episode was and still is one of the most watched TV episodes of all time. Rick said yes to the offer because he didn't think that the album that he was working on at the time, Working Class Dog, was going to do too well, much like his last couple of albums that kind of did okay, but not spectacular. In the very beginning, it kind of looked like it was going to happen yet again. Then, one of the songs on that album got red hot. Jesse's Girl was written by Rick about his lust for his friend Gary's Girl, who, for the record, is not actually named Jesse. The song was released in February of 1981, but it didn't hit the Billboard chart until the last week of March. As the year went on, the song became more popular, which also drove ratings up for General Hospital, as more people realized that Dr. Noah Drake on General Hospital was also the guy on the radio. More people bought both the song and the album. It took 19 weeks to do it, but finally, in August of 1981, just in time for MTV's debut, the song hit number one. His video getting played on MTV only kept the song around even more. It became Rick's biggest single of his career. Rick became so popular that he would work on the soap opera during the weekdays, then go on tour gigs with his band on the weekends. He would win the Grammy Award for Best Male Rock Vocal Performance and would have a lot of hits in the 1980s like Don't Talk to Strangers, Affair of the Heart, Calling All Girls, I've Done Everything for You, Human Touch, and a ton more. He's actually acted on General Hospital on and off for the past four decades, and he still puts out albums, and he still goes out on tour. Now, with all of his hit songs and hit albums, not to mention his Grammy Awards, and considering that he's had more hit songs and albums than, say, Men at Work, who are in the ARIA Hall of Fame, I don't get why Rick Springfield isn't in. If there's a technicality as to why he's not there, I can't figure it out. He released his first albums in Australia, and he's from Australia, so that can't be it. I'm a little confused. Especially when you consider that the Bee Gees were actually born in the Isle of Man, which is part of the United Kingdom, but grew up in Australia. And the Bee Gees have been inducted into the ARIA Hall of Fame for decades. Still, kind of confused. Rick Springfield, absolutely 100%, deserves to be inducted into the ARIA Hall of Fame, which is in Melbourne, Australia. 
And as a reminder as to how good Rick Springfield was and still is to this very day, we have put his greatest hits onto this week's podcast playlist, the link to which is in the show notes. The Music Halls of Fame podcast is part of the Music History Today network, which can be found under Music History Today on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts from and also on our YouTube page under Music History Today. Thank you very much for listening.